So Pastor Dale preached for, um, last week from uh, James, and he brought us up to this point, um, speaking about taming the tongue and the importance of the words that we say. And I know this week that was on my mind. I tried to be more conscious about not uh, voicing snarky opinions about uh, people's behaviors, especially when driving or at work when people did things that I maybe I, d- I didn't think were very smart or um, having a bad attitude or complaining. I was certainly more aware of that. And it was it was kind of a, a shocking thing to realize that those types of things comprise a great deal of my speech. And without them, um, I probably wouldn't say a lot. So I'm thankful for the message that Dale brought last week. And uh, I'm thankful for the way that uh, we continue on to look into wisdom this week. And wisdom is a big part of controlling your tongue and taming your tongue. So I'll read this morning from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So a few things that I'd like for us to to kind of hold on to this morning or think about, uh, two things at least. Um... The messages that we've heard over the past few weeks, the uh, messages from James are to a particular audience. Um, sometimes when we go through some of these instructive things, we maybe we get the idea that these are, are for the teachers. These are for the, the, uh, the uh, shepherds and the preachers. But um, as Dale explained last week, and as we'll see some more this week, this is James preaching to the Christian. This is a, an open message. This is a congregational message. And these things, these teachings, are not just for the leaders in the church. These are not just for the elders and the, the pastors. These are for every church member. And the next thing that I wanted to mention is um, we talked about in the onset about the misconception of the book of James, how the theology of James is... Um, understood to be at odds with the theology of Paul, um, works-based versus faith-based salvation. As we've seen and gone through, uh, we realize that's not the case. There is a, a very good, a very strong cohesion in the message that James brings and in the message that Paul brings regarding salvation. Today's another one of those passages where we'll have uh, opportunities, some of the scripture we'll look at. Um, it might present as, as an opposition, but as we understand it, um, it's actually a, a really perfect marriage uh, 
And what we need to keep in mind as we read through James, when he talks about works, he isn't talking about uh, works that drive or produce salvation. He's talking about works that spring from salvation. So if we could keep those things in mind um, as we look into our text this morning. And then uh, the third thing is... Um, is the exhortation from last week's message that um, not all of you should seek to be teachers. And this theme continues on into our text today um, as James is addressing the, the full congregation. Um, but it's a, it's a, he begins with a caution about people com, um, declaring themselves to be wise. So uh, as we begin, James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? So James's mission or his goal is, is to find those within the congregation who are wise, those who would be suitable leaders, those who would be able to handle and, and teach the word. But there is some nuance to what he's saying and what he's teaching. And, and I thought about a, several examples today. I thought about political leaders in our society today you see the signs go up. There are a lot of people that want to run for office. And it's at least the impression that I get, these aren't people who are coming eagerly out of a desire to serve. But they are people who say, this is a good paying, low activity job with a lot of benefits. And I I think of a, a, a local politician who I won't name, but who has a very strong reputation for everywhere they go, they, they try and get handouts. They try to get something for free. They try and lever, leverage a political position to get something for nothing. And you get the impression that this is the, the goal all along. That the goal of getting into these positions of leadership was to be exalted. To have people say, wow, look at you. Look where you stand. You are above us. And you deserve our praise and our adoration. And this is at the heart of all sinful man, our pride. We want people to praise us. We want to be acknowledged for the things that we do. We want to be acknowledged just because of who we are. It's it's in our nature. This is our, our pride that drives this. But James is saying, who is wise and understanding among you? And if we think back to last week, we should be cautious to step forward into that. So what he's asking is, do you have godly wisdom? Who among you is wise? And as we'll see in a little bit, wise not according to the world, but wise according to heavenly things. Who among you? Prove it. Because the next next part of uh, verse 13 says, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of salvation, or meekness of wisdom. By his good conduct. Do we see typically out of a lot of our leaders good conduct? Do we see out of people maybe that we idolize or that, that we lift up on a pedestal? How often do we see those people fall? It's pretty frequently. I, as a boy, I grew up, I loved Jose Canseco. 
He was my favorite ball player. He was so much fun to watch. And then the steroid scandal hit, and he was first and foremost and in the front line saying, yeah, I used steroids, and all these other guys did too. It was very disappointing to me. I was glad he was honest about it, but it was very disappointing to me that I had looked up to him as somebody who uh, had aspired and who had, had done a lot of great things, who was a really good ball player, um, and then for him to come out and say, well, yeah, but I, I, I did these other things, and uh, that's why that I was so much better than everybody else. That's why I could run faster and, and hit harder, and uh, that was disappointing. And then other others, as you go on, it's the laundry list of, of sports figures, and this is something that we can pretty well count on. If you lift somebody up onto a pedestal, they're going to fall. So we think about the upside-down kingdom of God when we think about uh, leaders, people who would put themselves forward to be teachers, people who would step forward to say that they have wisdom. It isn't the way that we see it in our culture, where people step forward and say, yes, I'm suitable to be the judge executive. I've never actually been in a courtroom. That sounds cool. Let's do that. It's It's an elected position, right? So we see things like that, but what, what James is, is saying, okay, who among you is wise? By your conduct, by his conduct, let him show his good works in the meekness of, we, of wisdom. Good conduct pleases God. Um, 1 Peter 2.12 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we act out our, our good works not for the adulation of, uh, of people, not so that they would lift us up and say, wow, Jack is, is a really righteous guy. But we, we do these things because of the love that Christ has put in us. And as a result, others see those good deeds and instead of exalting us, what do they do? They glorify God on the day of visitation. Another difficult piece of this is that true wisdom produces humility. We don't see, again, in our political and our earthly leaders, a lot of humility. We see a lot of hubris. We see a lot of um, arrogance. But we see a a litany of Scripture uh, that tells us that humility is one of the fruits of true salvation that we need to see in ourselves. In Galatians 6, chapter 1, or verse 1, Galatians 6, 1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you be tempted. We are to care for one another, to keep one another from sin. We are to help one another, but we're to do it in a spirit of gentleness so that we don't fall into the same thing. We are to come with humility when we come to our brothers and sisters. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing love with one another. So we're to have humility, we're to have gentleness, and we're to be patient with one another. <clears throat> Colossians 3, verse 12. Colossians three twelve. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And 1 Peter 3, verse 16, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we have a good conduct. We have humility, which is close to or, or near to meekness, as it says, in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is humility. And I want you to, to think back, for those of you who have been here, to two times ago when I preached uh, in the book of James, I mentioned that James harkens back to the Old Testament. Um, I think we see uh, Peter does the same thing. They, they Obviously, they go back to what they knew. They go back to their roots. They go back to their uh, cultural understanding. And a lot of the examples and a lot of things that we see from the book of James... These are Old Testament ideas. Obviously, that doesn't invalidate them. Obviously, the Old Testament is as valid as the New Testament and is as applicable as the New Testament. The New Testament is not a replacement for the Old Testament. They are companions. Uh, But we see um, tons of Scripture relating to wisdom and meekness and gentleness. you probably know uh, Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, Proverbs 2.9, Then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Proverbs 2.20, You will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of righteousness. So this behavior is an example, or this behavior demonstrates our meekness. This demonstrates wisdom. So, the first thing that we look at, James says, Who among you is wise? And in the next section, we'll look, what isn't wisdom? Sometimes when when you're explaining what something is, the best thing you can do is to start by saying what it isn't. We can relate to it that way and say, well, this thing is not this. Or it's the opposite of this. And we get into that in verse 14 where James says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is a warning to anyone who would put themselves forward as wise that they need to examine themselves. Look at your heart. Do you have bitter jealousy? You have selfish ambition? Don't boast and be false to the truth. This is a negative statement of what we see in the second half of verse 13, um, where James exhorts the wise to demonstrate their wisdom by good works. If someone is claiming to be wise, and we see 
in them bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, then they make themselves out to be liars. Um, the word jealousy may be in some of your translations translated as envy. Um, it kind of has two meanings. One is kind of a neutral or maybe a, a positive meaning, uh, like a, a zeal for the Lord, an envy for God. But the other is negative, and it refers to a type of idolatry where um, you're jealous for the things other people have. We look at even in the Ten Commandments, we're not to covet, right? We're not to desire something that belongs to somebody else. We aren't to, to steal. So if we have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and the part that I put in, in parentheses in my own notes is in your hearts, because that's the root of all these things. We talked many weeks ago about Jesus says it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out because it's out of the abundance of your heart. And this is where we see all kinds of evil come spring forth. Uh, we have this, this idea or this, this idolatry. We, we have this selfish ambition. If what we want is for our own good and for our own purposes, and we chase after those things, then we don't distribute or don't d- demonstrate godly wisdom. We don't demonstrate humility. We don't demonstrate meekness of wisdom. So these are things James is, is, is warning his hearers. If you decide you want to be wise and you want to put your name forward and you want to, to say that, examine yourselves. Why? What kind of wisdom is this? Well, in verse 15, it says, This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. We look at uh, wisdom in this culture, wisdom in this time. Greeks, they highly prized wisdom. But they prized a different kind of wisdom. It was it was an intellect. It was a knowledge. And through a lot of the different Greek and Roman at this time provinces, we see this cultural influence where there's a great curiosity for things that are um, that, that can be studied or or new information. We see a hunger for new information. And this is the kind of wisdom that's prized in our culture today. Um, we see that um, scientific, culturally acceptable knowledge is what's put forth. The, the people who are respected uh, today are people that, that are among what we would call the intellectual elites. And that's not a negative term against education. Education is a very good thing. Education is a very important thing. It says education should be a lifelong pursuit. But when our, our education seeks to divorce us from God, then it's a very bad thing. When our science is uh, based on a desire to disprove the existence of God, then it's a very bad thing. Science is the understanding of the world that God created. It's a, it's a, study of 
the understanding of what God has made. So the context for anything that we study is to be to understand better, to understand better God in his, um, in his ways and in the, the way that he interacts. But we have in this culture a love for new knowledge, for, n- for the pursuit of new things, and they're not rooted in godly things. They are earthly. They are unspiritual. They are demonic. And um, even though even those terms, especially the de- demonic, the the understanding of that, especially from a, an Old Testament. Uh, standpoint really if we want to boil down anything um, anything that is not of God is utterly satanic anything that is knowledge that stands against God is satanic Um, to confront someone who says they are atheistic or they, they don't believe in the existence of God and to confront them with the reality that if they don't serve God, then they're a servant of Satan. There is no, there is no middle ground. You know, like the old saying, saying goes, uh, you know, you can't ride the fence because the devil owns the fence. We either have godly knowledge or we have unspiritual, satanic, demonic knowledge. Are all the things of wisdom of man necessarily evil? Are they all wrong? In the sense that if, if someone gives you wisdom that says you shouldn't play marbles in the tra- in traffic, that's not bad wisdom. That's a good, that's a good idea. It's good that we avoid those things. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.14, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And as James paints the picture of what a, a wise person should be, I think we can probably look in our own culture and see people that we lift up as wise. Um, there are a lot of people that, that it seems kind of strange, but we put a lot of stock in the things that they say. A lot of times it's because of their celebrity. Uh, conversation at work this week, somebody was espousing a point of view that they had, and they're, and they're like, I had never thought of that before, but that's right. I heard it on Joe Rogan. Okay. I didn't really say anything, but I thought, what is our source of wisdom? Where do we go when we want wisdom, when we want knowledge? Where do we turn? Do we... Do we find a a self-help book? Do we turn to someone who is popular? You know, if we have financial trouble, do we say, well, I'm going to call Tony Robbins and have him come and motivate me to to go in my job and, and, and excel and earn and do all these things? Or do we turn to God? Earthly wisdom? Um, you know, the old saying that a blind squirrel finds a nut. Um, we can have things that are that are earthly wisdom that turn out to be accurate, but they are not godly. We need to think less about 
thing, terms, things in terms of, of good and evil as godly and ungodly. I think in our Western mindset, um, there's this sort of uh, Dante's dichotomy of, of God versus the devil and this Teutonic struggle for the souls of the world. And, and we see this sort of rise out of a medieval culture, this ideology. Uh, but that's not the case at all. God is the God over all things. Uh, Satan isn't the ruler of hell. Satan is a prisoner of hell. Hell was designed for Satan and his angels. And God is there in his presence in his judgment. So it's it's not that um, we have these these competing ideologies that are that are even comparable because we can't compare the the wisdom of Satan or earthly wisdom to God's wisdom. They're not even in the same category to compare. I can do a lot of things. I can build orphanages. I can cure diseases. I can care for the poor. But if I don't have God, if, if these aren't godly directed things, what is it? 1 Corinthians 13.1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So wisdom... We shouldn't base our wisdom on whether we think it makes sense in our own hearts. Our wisdom should be based against the wisdom that we see imparted to us from Scripture, from God. James continues on in verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Is God disorderly? No, we don't see disorder in creation. We don't see disorder in anything that God has made. And the more that we study the, the galaxies and the solar systems and the universes that are filled with other universes and the exponential unimaginable size of everything that God has created, could any of that exist in chaos? We have this idea that something wild happened and, oops, people. No, that's crazy. That's crazy. I can't imagine how much faith it would take to say, we just were all nothing, and then something kind of happened, and now we're something. And we have respiratory systems and we have neurological systems and we have endocrine systems and we we walk and talk and we learn and, and and our bodies function they they know how to shut down when we go to sleep and they know how to tell us when we're hungry and when we're thirsty and when we need medicine and when we're tired we know how to go to sleep all those things that's not an accident there is no chaos in god and often in our in our family, our little nuclear family, I see chaos sometimes, and I know that it's ungodly. And we 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 battle. You know, you have to pick your battles, especially when you're outnumbered. But we see chaos in our lives. But we see the glory of God most 
when there's order. When we come together, when our thoughts are ordered, when our, our, our minds are ordered, when our, when our thoughts are clear, when our spirit is receptive to the Word of God. But there is order. And out of, out of chaos comes what? Every vile practice. We can't live lawless lives. We can't live apart from the righteousness of God because that way is chaos. That way is destruction. We begin verse 16 with the word for. When we see for or therefore, we know we have to see what it's therefore, but we know it's, it's a connector, right? This is a connector to, um, the previous section. If we are jealous, if we have selfish ambition, then our wisdom is corrupt and our religion is worthless. And we, we, we remember that from James 1.26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this per- person's religion is worthless. But God is a God of order. God is a, a God of control. And not control in the negative sense in which we think about it. See, this is, this is one of the problems that we have with being many generations away from our own independence in this country 245 years ago is that this idea of freedom for us, it kind of clouds our mind when it comes to this idea of submission to God. We lose sight of the fact that our freedom actually is in our submission from God. Our freedom is freedom from sin. It's not freedom to chaos. We weren't intended to be, we weren't created to be free to live in chaos. We were freed so that we could live righteous lives. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And I want us to take this word peace and kind of put it up maybe at the top of our notes and kind of keep that in mind because it'll be important as we get to the end and as we look at the sort of the whole point, James's whole point for why he's telling us to bridle our tongues, why he's telling us the importance of wisdom. So we looked at who is wise. We looked at what wisdom isn't. And let's look at what is wisdom. As we go into verse 17, we have a list. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, sincere or impartial and sincere. So we have a list and, and we have a bulleted point. You know, if you're a coder, it's an H1 point. This is a big, bold top point wisdom is pure wisdom from heaven is pure we look at wisdom that is pure it's undefiled it's morally pure and this is the part where we we need to be careful because if we aren't careful in the reading of this we get the idea that if we act pure if we act morally right, then we will be saved. 
when the reality is this purity comes from the shed blood of Christ. This purity comes out of our salvation. It's a result. The desire for this purity is a result of God's changing of our hearts. This isn't us pulling our, our proverbial bootstraps up and, and gritting our teeth and deciding we're going to be pure. That's ridiculous. That can never happen. When we do that, what does is, what is Paul say? The very thing that I want to do is the thing I don't do, and the thing I want to do is the thing I can't do. That's the reality of our flesh. We are intended to live pure. We are intended to pursue purity. Put aside sensuality, pride, and covetousness. These things are all at the root of earthly wisdom. So we are to we are to live pure. This is the first thing. How? How? What does this first of all? What does this look like? What does this purity need to look like? Second Corinthians eleven two says. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. We see this um, analogy, we see the this idea of a bride being presented to a bridegroom. We see this ideology of purity over and over, especially when, when we read the Old Testament, because what is God's constant complaint against his people? You've been unpure. You've been unfaithful. You've turned aside. You've chased after idols. You've gone after other gods. You haven't kept yourself for me. If this is the state of our heart, how can we muster up within ourselves purity? We can't. Our purity comes from the shed blood of Christ. Our righteousness is from his righteousness. So first, wisdom is to be pure. Let's examine ourselves. Are we pure? Do we have a desire for purity? This doesn't mean are we perfect in the way we live out our lives, but what do we desire? Are we concerned with that? Are we concerned with the sin in our lives? Are we concerned with putting that to death? The second thing we see is that um, godly wisdom is peaceable. It's peace-loving. It seeks after peace. And peace is hard won. Peace isn't something that just happens. You don't just say, well, that was a you know a terrible thing that my brother did. I'm just going to let it go and it'll be cool. We can't have peace that way. As somebody who hates conflict, this is difficult for me. But when I have wronged someone, I have to go to them. And I have to seek reconciliation. When someone has wronged me, I have to go to them. And I have to seek reconciliation because we can't have peace otherwise. And that's hard because a lot of times I'm content to say, well, that's fine. We'll just not have peace. But according to James, that's not. this is not the kind of wisdom that is godly wisdom. It's earthly wisdom for me to say, that's fine, I don't have to have peace with everybody. But in as much as it's up to me, right? Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Can we have peace if there is turmoil going on in our lives? Can we be at peace during times of strife? Yes. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Christ in the midst of our conflict. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When Christ ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, did he know that his disciples, that he was leaving behind, did he know that all but one of them would be martyred? All but John, the the disciple Jesus loved, was martyred and they tried. They tried to boil him in oil and it didn't take. So instead he was exiled. Did Jesus know that? Yes. So if their peace was dependent on them living nice and easy, happy lives... Would he have said that to them? No. He knew. He knew. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What is peace in Christ? Peace in Christ is knowing that this this light and momentary affliction is just that. We have eternity in the presence of God. Peace. Godly wisdom is peaceable. Godly wisdom is gentle. It's kind, tender of heart. How easy is it to say a biting word to somebody, even in jest? Something that I have really in my life tried to learn and understand, if I punch someone in the face as a joke, it hurts just as bad. Laughing doesn't make it really hurt any less. It still hurts. Are we gentle? Are we able to be gentle and kind? And are we able to come to people where they are instead of expecting them to come to us? I read this uh, passage already from Corinthians 11 too. This is, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you one husband to present... Nope, sorry, that's the wrong one. (laughs) Dale and I talked about this earlier, copying and pasting. Um, But... Christ leaves us. Was Christ gentle with us? Yes. What did we deserve? We deserved his wrath. We deserved a whole lot more table turning than we got. But Christ came to us with gentleness. Also, open to reason. Open to reason. Are we in our minds open to reason? And this, this phrase, it means for us to be able to submit to wise persuasion. If we come with our minds made up, and this is it, no matter what, are we able to, is that a wise way to live? Are we able to grow beyond where we are? No. Uh, one example is of David and Abigail. Um, just a brief 
overview of the story, uh, David was coming to uh, Nabal, and he was coming to this this man, and he was ex- had his army with him. He was extremely gentle, extremely kind, extremely uh, deferring to this man, asking for him to help. And Nabal was a total punk about it. Totally refused, complete jerk, no need for him to be that way. And David's like, I've got an army. And his intention was to come and wipe him out. And Abigail came and she stood between her foolish husband and David and she made reason. She reasoned with him and said, he's a fool. Don't let his foolishness cause you to do something sinful. Let's, let's work this out. Let's find a way that is, that is, uh, mutually beneficial where nobody has to die. What's David's response to that? First Samuel 25, 32 and 33. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. So we need to be, to be wise. We need to be able to take godly counsel. We need to be open to reason. And this doesn't mean to be open to anything to turn on TBN and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to send him $400. It makes a lot of sense. It is for us to be open to someone speaking the truth of God into our lives. We need to be able to be um, held accountable. We need to be able to be rebuked in a loving way and accept that. It's very hard to do. <clears throat> we also need to, um, we need to have mercy. Are we merciful people? If someone were to describe you to someone else, they say, you know, he's a pretty merciful guy. Um, I really wronged him in this way, and instead of him coming after me, he showed me mercy. Is that is that what people think about me um, when they talk to me, talk to other people about me? Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Two different kinds of mercy, right? We have a kind of a horizontal mercy where I am merciful to you, my brothers and sisters. And in return, God is vertically merciful to me. God extends his mercy to me. Good fruits. We've talked a lot about good fruits. What fruit does your wisdom bear? Does the wisdom that you use in your life, does it bear fruit that is peaceable and gentle? And we know, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. Do we see those things in your wake? Do the, the places, the things that you leave, do they leave better? The situations that you, that you handle, that you deal with, is God glorified in those things? <clears throat> Godly wisdom is also impartial. We've already dealt with impartiality in, in the book of James. Do you give the best seat for the rich person and make the poor person sit on the ground in the back? Or are you impartial? <laughs> impartial means that I don't put someone else um, above someone else based on their sta- station or status in life. That we all come to God 
the same, and we all go the same. Wisdom from God should be sincere. It isn't fake it till you make it. You can't pretend to have wisdom from heaven because what will bear you out? Your fruit. <laughs> Your fruit, it's, it's, it will be obvious. It's like in the Old Testament. Well, how do you know a prophet is really a prophet? Everything they prophesied came to pass. Now everything that we do obviously won't. We, we aren't perfect. But generally, a wise, godly person will leave... Um, They'll leave a, a, a very discernible trail of fruits. But we need to be sincere and don't lie to ourselves. Don't pretend. God isn't fooled. God's discerning people are not fooled. So it needs to be sincere. So then we come to verse 18 and we come to what's I feel like a sort of the summation of all this. Why? Why, why is... Why is James pushing wisdom? Why is he saying you need to have godly wisdom? Not just to be leaders, but all of us need to have godly wisdom. What is it he's looking to uh, attain in the group that he's speaking to, and then by extension in us? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do we think of ourselves as gardeners, spiritual gardeners? Are we harvesting a, a, um, a righteousness of peace? What do you have to do to harvest peace? You have to sow peace first. We saw this week, we, we bought some uh, bell peppers, right? One of them is about this big around, about that long, and is yellow. It's not a bell pepper. We thought we planted bell peppers, but we didn't. Obviously, had we planted bell peppers, it would be a bell pepper. It's not a bell pepper. It's probably a banana pepper. We didn't plant the seed that we thought we planted. And in the same way, if we want to reap a harvest of peace, we need to plant a harvest of peace. We need to care for it in the way that you would care for a harvest if you wanted to reap a good harvest of peace. Peace is the is the hinge pin for this holding your tongue, leading with wisdom. These are the the key things that James is, his messages hinge on because we need peace among ourselves, and especially in this era and the time which the book is written, the people to who it's written to. Great trials, great persecution, and great tribulations are going to come. If you don't have a harvest of peace sown among you, what happens when those trials come? You scatter. James didn't want the church to scatter. James wanted the church to have fruit. He wanted it to grow in a harvest of righteousness. He wanted people to grow in Christ. Is that our desire here? For those of us who are uh, members of this church, I use the air quotes because we have some formality to make that so, but those of us who are followers of Christ, who are part of this church, is that our desire for all of the church? Is that our desire for the community? Do we want to sow a harvest of peace in the Maysville area? 
Do we want to, to reap that harvest? And we've talked about that as well. We don't know what part of that process will be, whether we plant, whether we tend, whether we water, whether we harvest. But we need to be a part of that process. If we are a part of the redeemed of Christ, according to God's word, this needs to be, we need to be people who bridle our tongue. We need to be people who are rich in godly wisdom. There's a lot of of fighting going on right now about whether abortion is should be legal and whether abortion is okay. There's there are a million things that we could go and fight about right now if we wanted to step in and fight. But first, do we understand those things? Do we understand the issues? Is our desi- our desires aligned with God's desires? Do we want to have peace in the world? And not a peace that means, well, we just live and let live. Okay, sarah, sarah. We, we want to have the peace of Christ. When Christ returns, will he return with a feather or will he return with a sword? Is following Christ an easy thing? No. He said, I didn't come. Uh, he, I come to, to separate brother from uh, father from mother and brother from, um, I forgot where, what the exact is, but he, I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword, but what he's coming to separate is the righteous from the unrighteous. So he has sent us to sow and care for and reap a harvest of peace. Are we dedicated to that here? And if you're someone who is here today and this seems foolishness to you, if you haven't given your heart to Christ, have you considered the idea or the possibility that if none of, if, if everything that I have said today is true, then you are utterly doomed? We can't summon up purity in our hearts. We can't summon up peace in our hearts. We can't summon up gentleness in our hearts because we can't get past the, our own innate wickedness in our hearts from birth. Isaiah 64, 6, the righteousness of man is like filthy rags. The best we can offer God is a polluted garment. So if you're here today and you haven't made a profession of faith, consider these things. When Christ does return to separate the kingdom, to separate the righteous from the unrighteous, where will you stand? And know this, as James has said, as Paul has said, as Peter has said, as every page of Scripture says, this, this righteousness isn't a righteousness that you summon up. There is no island of righteousness in your heart that you can go to and from there connect with God. No. We, we reject that ideology because the Word says that we have a heart of stone that needs to be replaced with a heart of flesh. So if you are standing apart from God today, today is the day of salvation. I beseech you. Go to God, confess your sins, fall on his mercy, beg for his forgiveness, beg him to save you.
if you have any questions about those things, if you have any, if you need help, if you have um, anything that you want to discuss, you can discuss it with Dale and I at any time. But today is the day of salvation. This isn't a thing that we put off. This isn't a thing that we should fool ourselves about. Because we can't. We can fool ourselves to believe anything we want. But this is not a matter that um, that is a trifling thing. We will one day all stand before a holy God. And we will give an account. I could not stand before a holy God based on my righteousness and utter a single word. I couldn't open my mouth before a holy God. But when I come to stand before God and he looks on me, he'll see the righteousness of his son. That's what I pray for all of us. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we all come today recognizing and understanding that apart from your mercy, apart from your salvation offered freely for us, that we have no chance. We have no case in your holy court. We can't summon any righteousness. All of our good deeds are as filthy rags. Father, I pray that um, you would break our hearts. Those of us who are redeemed, that our hearts would be broken for a desire for this godly wisdom that leads to your peace. That our, our desire would be for the lost. That our desire would be for the broken. And that we would care for one another as you have ordained us to do. And Lord, for the lost today, I pray that you would break their hearts to understand the the peril that they're in, the horrible predicament, the place that they stand, and that they would tremble and they would come. Father, as we begin our week today, I pray that you would set our feet firmly on solid ground, that our desire would be for you, our desire would be for your word, and our desire would be for your holiness. And Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.